Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, and with me today we have Michael Snydell. Hello. And Bill Graham. No guests. No guests today. Can't remember. Sundance makes it rough. <laughs> yeah, Sundance really fucks with the guest schedule. <laughs> So apologies in advance. We would love to have given you another guest, uh, but uh, we didn't. Sometimes You're that's going to happen. Us. We used Lucky to never have guests. So, <laughs> God, such a demanding audience, I assume, that we have. Anyway, we are here today to talk Burning, a film that uh, is getting some, some awards attention, has shown up on some of our own year-end lists. And that we didn't get a chance to talk about early in the week, and since we are now in the doldrums, and Michael couldn't get out in time to see Serenity, the <laughs> Matthew McConaughey film that is setting Mas- the internet on fire. Mass are still to come. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we've we've uh, decided Michael's gonna brave Arctic temperatures in Chicago in order to go see Serenity, so that we can, in fact, have a full-on spoiler podcast about that friggin' thing. I just want the audience to know it's negative 13 this Wednesday and and like the whole news cycle has been about how it's colder than Alaska this past week in Chicago. So this yeah. is what I'm dealing with and and I suffer <laughs> for art. Which is crazy because uh, Alaska in a little over a month I think is hosting the Iditarod. So they need those cold temperatures and some snow or else those dogs and those mushers are going to have a real hard time scrabbling over the frozen ground. Well, they'll just have to come to Chicago instead. <laughs> can, you, can you stage like a many hundred mile dog sled race in Chicago? Just on Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> just have them go up and down, up and down constantly. Um, oh, for anyone who I... forgot from last year, I am a huge Iditarod fan. So uh, get ready to hear about that for a long time. And uh, yeah, so what, what we were talking about, we're here to talk about burning. <laughs> <laughs> the film that we didn't get around to when it was out in theaters, directed by Lee Chang Dong, uh, co-written by himself and Oh Jun Mi. This movie stars uh, Yu Ah-in, Jun Jong Seo, and Steven Yun. And I apologize if I butchered any of those names. Also, uh, after a long conversation at the beginning of this episode, we've decided that we are going to say everyone's name, first name, last name. Just for avoiding confusion and setting up some kind of consistency. So hopefully we are getting close and we are not offending anyone. And if we are, again, we tried to have a guest on. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good way to uh, get out of any uh, responsibility for that. <laughs> we, we tried so hard and then had a long discussion. We are not blindly stumbling into this. This is just the way things have shaken out. So anyway, before we do that, same old usual stuff. Find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Go online to your uh, podcatcher of choice. Give us a comment or reading on iTunes. And, of course, you can email us podcast at filmstage.com with any of your thoughts and opinions. 
what else go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money help us produce these episodes and bring more wonderful content to your ears and of course we are brought to you by movie the online streaming cinema where every day they introduce a new film from their beautiful conscientious curators what do we have going on still got the what is an auteur series with its Catherine Bigelow retrospective. Near Dark. I'm going to read the copy from this email. Master auteur Catherine Bigelow has crafted some of the most purely sensory and kinetic genre cinema of our time. Exhibit A, Near Dark, her sophomore film, is a bewitching vampire action horror hybrid that descends into the hidden worlds of rural America to find hell. Erotic, violent, and essential. In addition... Buffalo 66. The Sundance Film Festival has become, and this year we're bringing you seven films from the festival's rich, independent history. First up is the iconoclastic auteur musician actor model Vincent Gallo <laughs> and his idiosyncratic masterful debut, the tender, hilarious, and bracingly honest Buffalo 66. Wouldn't it be easier to just say multi hyphenate? <laughs> I, yeah, if I'd read the copy first, I might have done that, but I didn't. <laughs> so. That's Buffalo 66. Who knows? Maybe they'll show Brown Bunny at some point. But uh, yes. Sundance. The other Sundance one I'd recommend to that they just put up uh, yesterday is But I'm a Cheerleader, which is a really interesting uh, film actually starring Natasha Lyonne from Orange is the New Black and weirdly featuring Michelle Williams in a really early role. Mm-hmm. But it's a, a, a interestingly enough, a uh, film about a conversion camp that's uh, kind of campy and uh, – really smart and uh, like a really good time so i'd really recommend that one off the top of your head remember when that movie is from uh 1999 yeah i was about to say that feels like a middle school movie for me (laughs) like a real like oh my god what am i watching right now type of thing yeah there's definitely some like there's a john waters vibe to it for sure and it's it's pretty body indeed so yes but i am a cheerleader is on there and um i'm actually looking at the uh, app right now Part of their Sundance takeover, they also have Pie by Darren Aronofsky. Podcast favorite director, Darren Aronofsky. So God damn some, it, mother. <laughs> they've got some great <laughs> stuff. Go check it out. You can get a free 30-day trial by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is it. That's all we had to get through. So now we can talk Burning. Again, the newest film from Lee Chang Dong. And here is... The trailer. Again, one of my favorite moments in any podcast is when I get to play a trailer for a movie in another language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some good bass tones in there. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, that, that trailer, even, even if you're not fluent in Korean, I think you can uh, ascertain the general vibe of this movie from that uh, the dialogue and the music going on. 
Anyway, I'm going to read the plot summary right off of IMDb because I just couldn't think of one on my own. Jong Su bumps into a girl who used to live in the same neighborhood as him, who asks him to look after her cat while on a trip to Africa. When back, she introduces Ben, a mysterious guy she met there who confesses his secret hobby. All right. It's <laughs> good enough, I guess. This is a this is a this is a movie from South Korea, and um, like I said, it's been getting some awards attention. And uh, this did show up on some year-end lists, including some of our own. So Woo! let's talk about it. Michael Snydell, your thoughts on Burning? Yeah, I can actually say that um, I've I've turned around on Burning a little bit. The first time I saw it, the thing of, about this film is that it. Every part of it is constructed in a way that it's freighted with ambiguity. And so uh, the the storyline and the way that these characters interact with each other is like constantly about, uh, you know, relativity. It's constantly trying to weave in a larger thing about class and just about the ways that in particular rich people view poor people and vice versa. Um, so in that sense, like I, I, I found it to be a, a very kind of hypnotic film my first time, but I nonetheless felt like some of the interlocking parts of, like there, uh, was something ultimately missing. Like, uh, and the second time watching it, I couldn't help but feel, uh, how deliberate each and every scene was. It's kind of odd. This is, this is nonetheless a privilege of, uh, being a critic, but I, I had a disc. So I was able to kind of every once in a while, I just wanted to the second time check when things happen. And it's really interesting uh, noting that there are probably, there are really only two or three big things that happen in this film. And it's interesting because they can potentially be seen as a crux or they can be seen as something that is entirely in the character's head and like uh, something that only has projected meaning. And I just think that the way that these characters um, is, is so strangely subtle. I mean, I mean even young Sue, his character, I mean, he's kind of a blank slate. He's kind of a wet blanket. Like, but I think even though his character is, not it's seemingly not particularly interesting it's the way that he interacts with everyone else that makes you realize that his worldview and like what i'll say because i feel like for someone who's not particularly familiar with this film in some ways this does resemble like mysteries like oblique films like you know things like the long goodbye things like point blank like these very recursive kind of noir crime kind of like mind game stories, like even something like House of Games. But it's in the end strange because it's so adjacent to these. It, it's less interested in the actual mystery than what the mystery actually brings on. So again, it, this wasn't something I liked the first time, but especially after the second time, this movie just really opened up to me. I'm not sure. I, I think the pacing, even the second time, I think it's just a little bit too long um, in, in focusing on 
some of the uh, kind of day-to-day stuff. Like it, it adds a lot of texture and it makes a lot of sense for the characters, but it's just a little bit too um, glacial with qu- not quite enough reward for me. But still, I really recommend this. And uh, Li Chengdong is definitely a filmmaker. I'm going to check out uh, other films from him. First of all, just want to say, love the fact that House of Games got a call out. House of Games is great. Oh, yeah, man. David Mamet, height of his powers. Yeah. Actually, what would be the height of his powers? I think he's still got his powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Red Belt. State and Maine was... Oh, State yeah, I don't Maine know is, what his big movie would be. State and Maine is so good. Especially, like, this is a tangent, like some shit, but rewatching <laughs> State and Maine now is just, like, crazy in light of, like, the Me Too movement and everything. Just because of, like, how openly that movie detests Hollywood for protecting predatory men. Well, didn't he do that other film specifically, the documentary, specifically about um, one of, like, the most hated people, uh, that uh, the guy who did the boxing documentary? Oh, man. I am not helping myself that I can't remember anybody's name. But I thought Mamet actually did a documentary about someone. It might have been that director, though. But I, I thought Mamet did a documentary about him, and he seemed like a, a massive sleazeball even back then. So, like, yeah, it, like I totally agree with you about State of Maine, Brian, but I thought he did something specifically about someone who's kind of a sleazeball as well. Um, I don't think so, but I'm not uh, – okay. I'm, I'm looking at his – just because we're already talking about it, I'm looking at his sure. uh, directorial credits – and he's got lost masterpieces of pornography, but that's a video short. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there. There's a short called catastrophe. I'm not seeing anything that looks like a documentary specifically. Well, I hope we cut this out. <laughs> nope, keeping it in. Everyone's going to go nuts trying to figure out what the hell you're talking about. Wonder- wonderful. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, yeah, so my just wanting to call out House of Games is uh, now led to that mystery. If you can figure out what the hell Michael was talking about, <laughs> tweet at him, at Snydell. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Bill Graham, thoughts on Burning? So I came into this movie having a lot of hype. Um, I knew to sp- uh, expect kind of a languid pace and i knew that there was a central mystery kind of at the heart of this film that would kind of hopefully string you along for two and a half hours um is it powerful enough to do that maybe maybe not that's kind of ultimately up to you but i think there's enough compelling things happening in this film that kind of drive you crazy where you kind of witness it from this very kind of youthful naive perspective from jong su and you know it really starts to kind of take shape and really become something once ben shows up on the scene and um i i just really really loved this film i kind of fell for it pretty pretty fast and i just knew enough about kind of the central mystery to 
basically hold on and and let it develop and i think that that kind of rewards uh this my my initial viewing and so i mean i don't i don't know how much to talk about this film really um it's beautifully shot it looks gorgeous um i enjoy the fact that like the way it is acted is is so at times subtle and at other times it's just kind of really in your face about what what this film is kind of trying to hint at and things like that um there's a scene where uh two two of the characters get high together that is <laughs> really really fucking something um and they they have some dialogue that's really interesting too um yeah, I, I just don't know how much I want to kind of spoil on on this podcast about like what what it is kind of going in um, beyond just that I fucking love this movie and and it's and it's slow as shit. Like it, there's there's no doubt about it, but hopefully you're you're along for that ride. Um, and the central mystery holds holds enough. Uh, interest for you to just kind of keep keep plugging away at the minutes because I think I think it rewards it by the end. So, all right, for me personally, um, I've realized that like if I were to if I were to like seed the ability to watch all but like any one other country's movies, mm-hmm. uh, it might be South Korea. Yeah, they 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 just are they they've really like and it's not just the the main names, it's just like all of these different people are just yeah. making really fucking interesting and incredible works and I hate I hate to point at one thing in particular, but pretty much the vast majority of those highlights are rated R and they're either violent or you know have kind of adult themes, but I mean, I don't know if America has just stopped caring about that kind of shit and that's turned into TV instead, but like South Korea is definitely holding that that uh what is that the that stake, you know, just keeping that thing going. So, I mean, I, I especially think back to my time going to the uh Toronto International Film Festival, mm-hmm. which was many years ago. And they do a um a sister country, like they they highlight a country. They 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 go into world cinema and are like, this year we're gonna highlight films from X. So the year I went was South Korea. And I like loved every movie that I saw from South Korea at the Toronto International Film Festival. And you can find all my old reviews on the film stage. But like Scarlet Innocence by Yim Pil Sung. Uh, Confession by Lee Do Young is still like one of my favorite movies from like the past decade. It's just such like a good, tightly wound, like twisty little thriller. And then um, Alive by Park Jung Bum is like a crazy, long, slow humanist type of thing that I loved a whole lot. And like just those three movies, like. I walked into them all knowing nothing. Basically, mm-hmm. they fit in my schedule. Yep, and yep. I was just like lucky enough 
that they were all crazy good. And I I remember going after Scarlet Innocence because like the main actor was in it and a auditorium filled with young Korean women all flipped out. And I was just like, who is this man <laughs> to these people? And I had to like stand outside with my voice recorder and like try to find someone who spoke enough English to be able to ask them because I just wanted to know the story behind it. But like all three of those movies were fantastic. Like in their own ways, it's, it's not even like they were all just riffs on a similar thing. Or like, I just happened to see like three con movies. Like Scarlet Innocence is this fucked up modern fairy tale that like twists and turns and goes absolutely crazy and has a system of morality that I still don't understand. Like I said, confession is like a good old fashioned, like three friends getting some shit and who's going to crack first and like how much of their soul will they lose. And then alive is about like an impoverished man. Who's like just trying to make life work and it's really hard. And now we have burning, which is like a perfect combination between alive and confession and i was watching it and i was legitimately like this is so amazingly good i i legitimately looked it up to see if it was the director of alive for a bit because it felt like hmm. it had like a little bit of a faster pace than alive which lets you know <laughs> how like patient alive is and i was like this feels like the type of movie that he would make um if he was like trying to maybe find a little wider audience mm-hmm. um if I remember, I looked up not too long ago and like each of these movies is available in some form on streaming. So I encourage everyone to check out all of those and to Have check you read out Burning. the short story, by the way, Brian? I, I feel like you've mentioned Murakami before. Have you read the short story? This no, I haven't. On. I really okay. want to now. If I hadn't just watched this movie today, I would have found some time to read the short story. Mm-hmm. But yeah. sadly, I could not. Um but yeah, this movie's great. <laughs> I am, um, as a fan of the, like, I wouldn't claim that this is a con movie, but like, as a fan of the con movie and like the kind of the shill who doesn't know what to believe and might be being lied to by everyone or no one, like, this movie had its hooks in me pretty early on because, I don't know, just immediately, like, everything feels wrong. And, Little details like this woman who's like, oh, hey, like we used to live together. I had plastic surgery. Like, do you want to hang out? By the way, can you take care of my cat? It's in here somewhere, I swear, in this like four foot squared apartment. And he just can't <laughs> find this cat. And it's but like there is poop and cat food. <laughs> yeah. And the cat food disappears and more poop appears. But like. There was, there's, I'm not going to say anything about like whether or not there is a cat, but there was a part of me that was like, did she just not go to Africa and she's just fucking with this guy? And like, if that's so, where is she getting the cat poop from? I just like, and I was just <laughs> like, the characters are very vividly drawn. The movie is beautiful. I find this particular type of quote unquote slow movie to be actually super propulsive and like very compelling where you were given the space in a scene to really interrogate the body language of people Mm, and to like try to figure out who they are and what they want and what they're doing. And just again, because there are so many questions about these people, 
it, it just like really works for me. And so I was watching this movie and I was like, ah, damn it. Like this movie friggin' rocks. And now I'm wondering if it would have made my top 10 of the year list. Mm-hmm. If I had been able to see it, it probably would have been, I don't know, like it, 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 this could legitimately show up like in front of the favorite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kill one of your darlings, Brian. Kill it. <laughs> All right. So yeah, I guess it would be first reformed stays, annihilation stays, old man, the gun, leave no trace, bad times, the El Real stays. I guess maybe I could slot it in front of Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. Just for some real mixed messaging. <laughs> you sure you don't want to just kill bad times? You're, you're so close, Brian. I really love bad times. I've seen bad times <laughs> no, twice no. since I bought it up. Bad, bad times. Bad times is good. Bad times. Is good. Bad times is good times. And this I, movie is also good times, despite the times being quite bad in certain parts. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm, I'm excited. I was excited to talk about this movie afterwards, and I went looking up like writing on this film and just found a bunch of clickbait bullshit um which i which i sent to you guys on slack sure. um so i'm just excited to be able to talk about it and like dig into it and like see what everyone thought because i really love the sort of like non-answers that we get mm-hmm. and the yeah. the the way that the movie resolves itself and just the concept of like of like what the movie claims it's about and how that sets it up. Cause like, you know, sure. for a movie called burning, there's a lot fewer fires than I was expecting. I just want to say before we get a- away from it, uh, as far as a good piece of writing, actually someone in our Slack channel was asking, um, you know, occasionally to recommend a piece of writing. Uh, there's actually a, a great review from, Oh, boy. I think it's Lawrence Garcia on Movie Notebook uh, back from when Burning uh, premiered at Cannes. And he wrote a a great piece on it from back then. So I would recommend looking that up if you want a piece of reading or or reading about it. Outstanding. Um, Yeah, so that's good. Um, Look that up. Can't do it now, clearly, because we're in the middle of podcasting. But yeah, no, I, um, I really dug the hell out of this movie. And I had quite a great time with it i was i was watching it and um you know this is the life of a father i uh, i just put my daughter down for a nap and her naps fluctuate my daughter you know depending on what she's done that day how well she slept the night before i can usually depend on like an hour and a half so my mm-hmm. thought process was i can get like over halfway through this movie and then finish it up before i have to come on to the <laughs> podcast and like midway through, I was like silently praying to the gods of sleep to keep my daughter asleep just long enough for me to finish this movie. And miraculously, they heard me and my daughter napped for a solid three hours. Nice. And so I was able to get through this whole movie and then uh, have a cookie while I thought about it. Because <laughs> uh, I can't eat cookies in front of my daughter because uh, that's that's one of her new favorite words. <laughs> so that's a deep insight into my life. <laughs> This is your own burning <laughs> experience here. Yeah, so no. w- one th- one thing I want to ask is how much y'all kind of knew uh, about this film coming in. Was it mainly just word of mouth or was it like did you have any idea of kind of the central mystery? And and I say central mystery, there's potentially more threads that you can kind of unravel and and go down, but I mean, did you know that there even was a central mystery at, no. at the heart of this film? Okay. I um I knew that Steven Ewan was in this because I I saw like an interview with him about 
mm-hmm. you know, how come you went back to Korea to make this movie? And then, um, and then like someone on one of our Slack channels, like just made a joke about how like burning's not very commercial because it's like, what's this movie about a guy who likes to burn down greenhouses. Mm-hmm. And so like, I legitimately I th- thought I it was think, just going to be a movie about a pyromaniac who burns down greenhouses. I I think I think that was me actually. <laughs> <laughs> was that and you? That okay, because I knew it was. Yeah, in that was the, definitely um... a joke. It was definitely a joke, and I was talking about why um, some of the Oscar like voters would probably just That's right, read yeah. the read the summary of this film and be like, "No, hard bass." <laughs> so I was thinking, like, I was thinking, yeah, it's like about a guy who, like, you know. I was just thinking, like, yeah, this guy's like a, has a shitty life, and he's going to start burning down greenhouses to feel something. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt that, like, when I looked it up on IMDb, the image for the trailer is a man standing in front of a burning greenhouse. So I was like, <laughs> burning a greenhouse, burning whatever Bill said. It must be that. So no, my um, my knowledge of this was very limited, which I enjoyed. Cool. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I I'd, I'd read a bit about it back at at Cannes. This is one of the big films I heard about, but I think what so I think I knew some type of mystery, but without getting into any specifics, I think within even the first 30 minutes I'm like, "Oh, this is not in any way typically anything that could be called like crime mystery noir like it's it was so much more you know conversational and like attuned to like these very specific roles that these people occupy in each other's lives so like i somewhat i I had a sense of it but even then like from the earliest reviews that people were a little bit at a loss about how to describe this i mean it, it in in some ways this is just a nightmare film um you know you can you can just kind of guess and and maybe poke and prod at at that at, at the film overall and maybe unravel it a little bit um and i think there's there's certainly enough here to kind of pull and 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 make that justification but i think i think just sufficing it to say that you know at the at the central kind of heart of this is potentially a nightmare and it's just you you get to that point where you start realizing all the things that are kind of lining up to support that idea and you're just like holy shit <laughs> um yeah this this movie does so much with such little dialogue and such little action it's it's really quite incredible for you know 148 minutes it's able to kind of push and pull you along and and keep you guessing in a lot of ways this this film did not do what i even even knowing a lot of what is kind of at the heart of this central mystery, I still didn't know where it was going to go and how it was going to unravel. And it kept me guessing throughout. And I was, I was really surprised by that. Yeah. yeah I, think I, the was, pro- I think the, sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, no, you go first. I was just going to say like I, this second time, I guess what it really clarified for me is how essential these performances are to, you know, not just making them, you know, extremes, like, you know, making Steve Yoon and an obvious, you know, shady character or, you know, or making, uh, I'm sorry, uh, or making Jaime into a femme fatale or, you know, any of these archetypes that we're familiar with. It's very clear that they could play those, but like there are 
are layers that are immediately clear. That's not that doesn't work in the same way, like to actually like undo what I was saying earlier. It's not a house of games type situation or like a soda break situation where you feel like here was here's what was actually happening. It's it's so much more like it's really interesting you mentioned Nightmare Bill because it's like because of the long takes and because of the editing, like it's very realist. Like there's never really a sense where you're feeling like you are being actually dropped into like ambiguity. It, it's mm-hmm. more just seeing these characters and saying, wait, that doesn't make sense. Or this was there before, but I thought I knew this, but maybe I don't. And and that's what I think is like, uh, uh, is, you know, pretty unique because you see so many mysteries where it's like things are shrouded in such a like explicit atmosphere And this is, this doesn't really do that. My favorite thing about this movie is that like for a long time, the mystery is what the hell the mystery is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, like I I could tell you, like it's a movie where nothing is as it seems. And you're like, okay, great. You know, and and most times in a movie like that, you're like, well, yeah, clearly we need to know who this guy is and why he's like trying to get to, to shell beach or whatever. Yeah. But like this movie is like, you can't trust anyone. Not even the Mm -hmm. guy you're following. (laughs) and Uh so like for a long time i was like the mystery is like who the hell is this woman and why is she taking advantage of this man and then it was like oh no no the mystery is like what happened to his dad and then it was like no (laughs) that's pretty clear all right well the mystery must be who this ben character is and like where he gets his extravagant wealth and then it's like no i guess the mystery is you know and it just kept going until like finally the mystery happened i'm like but everything is already so mysterious and that's not because the movie is like trying to be clever. It's just because sure. like people are difficult to figure out, mm-hmm. especially if you're a like stunted, repressed young man with no goals. Mm-hmm. Because sure. you don't interrogate things as much as you should, and you don't like peel back the layers of people because you're very happy to just exist on the surface level where you finally feel accepted. I love the fact that in this movie. Um, the main character, uh, Jung Su, Jung Su, is just like, I'm a writer. Or I, I'm, I'm yeah. going to try to be a writer now. And everyone's like, well, what are you writing? And he's like, I haven't started anything yet. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then like he's just talking to his dad's lawyer and his dad's lawyer is like stunning on him. Just like, you went to school for creative writing. You went to study writing. What writing are you going to create <laughs> The compliments the letter later on, which is like a total dick move. Yeah, and it's just like th- there's a point where someone finally says, like, hey, like, what is your writing like about? Like, what are you writing? And I was like, oh right, this guy claims to be a writer. This movie for a long time reminded me a little bit of um following Christopher Nolan's very first movie that like no one has seen. Um I have not seen it, so you're yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> Yep, Bill, I have you seen, seen it? it either? No, okay, I haven't seen it. So, following is about a man who professes to be a writer who follows people in order <laughs> to kind of just like you know get stories, get ideas, ideas yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And one day he follows a guy who's like a, a sneak thief. He's not like a gentleman thief. He's just a dude who breaks into apartments and steals CDs because this was back when you could like pawn those for money instead of just like <laughs> using them as mortar. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
And one of the things that this this uh, this guy who breaks into houses love to do would uh, be to find the box because every person has like that box of stuff that's sort of meaningful to them and doesn't mean anything to anyone oh, else. No, but no, that's Bill, rude. he wouldn't steal it. He would just dump it out. And he was like, the whole reason to do that is like, I don't want them to like miss it. I just want them to know that I saw it. You know, I just want them to like, they keep this box that's so important to them. And I want them to know that like a stranger saw it. And then he's also like, you know, when you like, I'm sort of doing them a service because like when you take it away, you show them what they had. And so like their lives become intertwined and there's a woman involved and it's this whole big thing. And this movie had a lot of that feeling to it where i was like just watching the way that these relationships moved and i was like is one of these men going to become obsessed with the other man or is like <laughs> is is uh jung soo's going to start suddenly like dressing like ben like I, you know because they kind of keep meeting over uh hey me talented mr ripley a little bit <laughs> yeah because like hey me is like hey we should hang out and then it's like like Ben is like, yeah, she kept saying she wanted to hang out with you. And then she's like, what are you talking about? Like you kept saying you wanted to hang out with him. And I was like, like, I don't know. Like at what point is like the, the, the hammer going to drop? Like, what are they mm-hmm. doing to this poor kid? Is he really that poor of a kid? You know? And, and, and yeah, the places that this movie goes to me are fascinating to watch because, and this is something that was similar to, um, alive in confession that I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, we talk about Hollywood in very broad sweeping terms a lot, so I feel fine saying this. Maybe Korean cinema is just like more interested in people mm-hmm. and the inherent contradictions therein, where you can have a movie like this, and it's 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 just so it's so interested in the fact that like we can show you reality and it's just as like blistering as if it were like a stylized mystery. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't we don't have to make this fancy you know we don't have to spend 400 million dollars on it and it'll still attract your attention and if you give it it you know the time of day it will still hold your interest i think yeah um you know i'm I'm curious what a, a what a bad review of this film or not a i, I guess i don't want to read a bad review negative uh, a, a negative <laughs> review of this film even a well-written because, negative review yeah 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 uh, and i'm curious you know what that perspective kind of is and, and where maybe someone didn't find kind of the way into this film but i mean i i just can't imagine anyone that's that's intelligent. <laughs> Not <laughs> okay, in- <laughs> That's harsh. I don't know. But I, I understand I know. what you're saying. Like, it, there, it it's it's one of those things where, and this is something that I've had to deal with with many movies. This is so my type of film hmm. that, like, I don't even know how to like properly defend it or like extol its virtues to people. Yeah, because well, I'll just can- be like, "Do you love movies that like?" show you the way that humanity is inherently difficult to grasp in like, but in a story setting where like that becomes more imminently important to understand. And people will be like, fuck no, I want to watch like a spunky girl reporter, marry a prince at Christmas time. And I'd be like, Oh, still sounds fun. (laughs) That's a Christmas prince too. It's on Netflix. Maybe you should check it out. Uh, But this is burning that I'm talking about and it's much better probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, there's a there's a guy I work with who constantly bitches about the, the fact that his wife watches this show called, like, When Calls the Heart, 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's it on sounds Hallmark, I believe. What was that? It's I believe it's on Hallmark. Yeah, it's a Hallmark show. I think it's Canadian, and it sounds fucking terrible, but, like, his wife loves it. So, you know, people have different sure. interests. Yeah. And I'm sure that if I tried to convince his wife, and probably him, to watch Burning, they would be like, God, no. Mm-hmm. We're getting into some awkward <laughs> jumps here <laughs> that I feel like are unfair. I mean, I can, once we get into spoilers, I can tell you guys why. I had a somewhat mixed reception of this on the first time. Oh, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can, yeah, but like I can, but I have a question, Michael, you had a mixed reception to it, but like at any point, did you find like your interest flagging or were you just like, I didn't understand where, where this goes. Let's, let's be that fake. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And yeah, I mean, for me, like maybe, maybe I don't, you know, understand where this goes quote unquote but like i i was just so like tuned into it that i like even as things were happening and i was like whoa i still was like on board and i i was down with it and uh it's a similar reaction i had to uh bad times of the royale uh anyways um yeah no, i uh, no i'm just being a dick i seriously i guess what i'd say about it is like real quick before we get into spoilers i think like I think you guys are totally right. Like in terms of stylizing reality, like I, we don't want to obviously do quite as broad stroke as you're getting into, but I think there is something to be said about even the way that, uh, you know, a yawn is freighted with meaning in this movie or, you know, the way that, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, following cause I, I can't help but feel like parts of this almost feel like, uh, and I really want to read the short story because I want to know if it has the same feeling that it's written for writers, like like that it seems so dense and like elusive to me, uh, like A L L, not uh, E L. Um, oh, okay. Uh, elusive to me in the sense that like even like Brian, you already talked about like he's a writer. And he likes Faulkner because he feels like Faulkner is writing about him. Mm-hmm. And so I find it interesting that like. Young Su is like obsessed with the idea of a very like literary protagonist, like as in he has he has sees himself as the hero, as someone who is, you know, doing something with great meaning. And then you have someone like Ben, who's very much like just a tourist in people's lives and, you know, like spends, you know spends like snatches of time with people and everything comes easy to him. I I just find it so interesting that on some level there is like a dynamic that would lend itself to a lot more or a lot less interesting movie. And the movie isn't interested in that. Like it's very much interested in, as you're saying, it's less about a mystery than like, Oh, Hey, people are weird. You're not going to understand them completely. Like, and that's so much more interesting to me once I kind of like fully grasped grasped that. Um. So w- what I'll say about that, like again, I wish I had seen this or I had read this short story. But uh, the the short story is called Barn Burning, and that's actually a title taken from a William Faulkner short story. Wow. Oh, is it? Okay. It, like literally, that is the title <laughs> of the short story by William Faulkner. So it's sure. not like a phrase that's just like common use like that short story from um let me see here uh haruki uh, murakami you know 
Yeah. He was like, I love that William Faulkner story. I'm going to take its title. And obviously, like, William Faulkner is name-checked a couple times in this movie. Such a weird superficial thing to say as well. But, like, I just find it really interesting that a short story led to a film that is so dense. Like, not that short stories can't obviously lead to satisfying or, mm. you know, epic movies. But this just feels so grandiose. It's- and I've always I've always found that short stories make better movies than novels. Well, mm. and that's that's the common phrase for like any Stephen King adaptation as well, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, I mean, just look sure. at all the ones that are really great, and most of them are fucking short stories. And you know, a lot of those also happen to be um, not uh, well. Not sci-fi or fantasy or horror, right? But sure. um, yeah, that's that's another conversation for another day. But I think I think if you keep that mystery and if you keep enough nuggets in there, I think someone else can take a short story, which is basically, I mean, there are some short stories that basically have kind of a finale and you know really kind of delve into that idea as much as possible but there's a lot of short stories that are out there that leave a lot that are just kind of unmined potential Mm -hmm. there and so i think a really good writer can come in get the seeds of of the idea from a short story and basically take off in their own in their own way so yeah, and no, I I think that's I think that's very fair, and I, I think it's, and I think it's even weird when we get into like you know sometimes we try to call things literary and it, like sorry films literary and it's such yeah. a like unidentifiable term. Well, it's like but when people also are like, like know it. <laughs> ever since Lost, people have been like, oh, this show is so novelistic. Sure, mm-hmm. you know because it's like long and it's serial and like we go into people's pasts. Like there's a lot of flashbacks. Sure. Um, or it takes like a character four episodes to just finally die. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was I going to say? I mean, yeah, I, like uh, short stories in my like my favorite short stories are often like allegorical. They don't really have like an ending. And so like a movie can take like that nugget of an idea and f- trace it as much as it wants to, but also not feel beholden to like the plot that was set up in the novel you know like i feel like a lot of movies like arrival might count as that type of thing which one arrival yeah arrival has that like you know they changed a shit ton of stuff in arrival in order to make it fit a movie but like it it, it, you kind of have a little more freedom adapting a short story because like odds are there's not going to be like a rabid fan base that's gonna attack you if you do (laughs) and I think that um, you you feel like you're not having to pack as much stuff in, so you're able to expand where you feel you need to, which I think is very important in an adaptation. Yeah. Um, so you either have to be super ruthless, like Anna Karenina, <laughs> or you have to just uh, pick a really strong short story, like Arrival, or in this case, Burning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is. I, I was. I kept like all day after I saw this movie. I was going to try to like come up with a joke, something about like, you know, if, if a short story was two hours and 28 minutes, you know, I can't imagine if this person had adapted the Hobbit because, you know, 
Peter Jackson had to do that in three movies. But then I just like kept failing. And so now I've just told about my failure. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like sat for like a good long while and I was like, how do I make this joke? But I couldn't do it. Anyway, we Thank should talk for spoilers for burning. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Burning and you're interested in it, uh, get out now because we're about to talk spoilers. Otherwise, uh, Stephen Yoon gets stabbed to death and lit on fire. <laughs> yeah. Rip that is he a demon? Off. Is he a demon? <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, that's interesting. He's like, as useless at, at one, as a greenhouse. <laughs> yeah. At, at one point, he mentions that he's never cried himself and he doesn't understand people who cry. And I was just like, oh, this guy's fucking Satan. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> and that was kind of like my whole like intuition throughout the rest of the film. Um, I had heard early on that basically he was potentially some kind of demon that was basically pestering uh this poor guy's life and that um it just kind of unravels and gets deeper and darker from there and i was like how is that gonna happen from this setup and then and then you meet ben and you're immediately just like oh this guy's terrible and like not not necessarily terrible for just like the world but terrible for anyone like jung su to like compete against and like you know have the same affections for a woman and it's just like oh yeah yeah you're gonna lose <laughs> and i was just like oh no this guy has no idea what he's getting himself into <laughs> and then by the end of the film you start to kind of realize like oh Jong Su's like not gonna give up, and he is so just untethered from the world that even if Ben didn't ultimately kill her, even if Ben is completely fucking innocent, you still almost feel like the righteous fury when he stabs Ben, and you're just like, yes, and then you're like. But I don't know for sure if, if he killed uh, hey, me. And you're just like, but I kind of don't care. I I kind of enjoyed that, like, just that pure and primal just revenge of just you fucked up my life kind of situation where it's just like, yeah, I was waiting for her to get back and we were going to have, like, a romance, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the other thing that I find so interesting about this film is like Amy's own like recalling of her past with Jong Su and how it doesn't actually line up with her family when Jong Su goes uh, goes and visits their like restaurant. And I was just like, by the time that part rolled around. I really didn't know what the fuck this movie was doing anymore. And I was, I was so lost and so confused and yet still just like ready to just follow it wherever it went. So, yeah. Cause like, you know, uh, again, I, I was watching this movie and I was like, is she even who she claims to be? Like, yeah, the whole thing about like, Oh, I got plastic surgery. That's why you don't recognize me. I was like, is it, is that mm -hmm. right? Like, 
And then she kind of comes up with this whole thing of like, you only spoke to me once and it was to tell me I was ugly. And it's just, it's so, it's so weird. And I was like, are they conning him? What on God's green earth could he have that they would want? Like, you know, he's got this like failing farm and his dad is going to jail. Yeah. Uh, and he, and he talks about like the anger in his father that he kept bottled up and that would explode. And now it's like sending him to prison and I was like, okay, so, like, does this guy have, like, the same issue? And at the end, like, maybe, yeah, clearly he murders a man. And this mm-hmm. is, I find it very interesting that both of you are focusing on Ben as, and Jaime as someone who was shifty. Because I, I don't think I trusted Young Su from uh, nearly the beginning. Like, I, I just think it's I, – I think especially um, – especially this time, like I, I couldn't help but think about how much like Ben is, Ben is a, he's not a good person, but mm-hmm. like, it's just interesting that you were talking about him as being almost like this demonic presence who won't leave young Sue alone. Cause like young Sue is just like, he's I mean, he's literally much, stalking him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, but before that he's as manipulative and like, like, like he, he as much wants to like create a larger narrative that he's a part of. Like he never even like, you know, even when you think about the first time he meets Ben, like he immediately like recedes into the background. Like he mm-hmm. never remotely mm-hmm. tries to like compete with him. And, and that's like, no, that's right. a fascinating he, thing. He, he already writes him, right. You know, writes cause it's a literary thing here. He immediately writes himself into the role of like the spurned mm-hmm. lesser, even though like, he and and uh, Hey Me are like hanging out, smoking on, on the balcony, and talking about how weird this dude is. Like, sure. and she, I, like, she I calls him a Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say that she's shifty. I think that she's hard to read. Um, sure. I think that Ben is weirdly open. Yes, and I think that Jung uh, Su is weird. <laughs> yeah, it, he's he's like you know. What kind of psychopath just opens with like I always find it interesting when people cry because I've never done it. Yeah. What's up with yeah, you humans sure. and that eye rain you sometimes make? Yeah. And um, that's, you know? a, that's a weird fucking thing to yeah. Like But like I, mean, I don't I I don't find that like demonic or or like I, I find it awkward because clearly he thinks that that's something he should be allowed sure. to say. Which you know it's his truth. Speak your truth. We keep saying that, but um, it's weird. It's super weird that he's that he's like that. And so there's a part of me thinking back on this movie that's like, did anyone ever tell the truth, or did anyone ever lie? Like this, you could read this movie as like sure. Ben could be completely innocent, and he's just like a harmless sociopath. Mm-hmm. You know, like the kind of sociopath who will like. You know, like, say that, like, you should go out for drinks sometime and then totally forget your name because he's got other Mm -hmm. shit going on. But, like, otherwise be totally, like, fine. You know, clearly got a big friends group. He's got a lot of money. So, like, I don't know if they're hangers-ons or if he's just, like, the charismatic, like, shallow sociopath. Sure. It's it's possible that, hey, me, left her watch at his apartment and just, like, fucking forgot about it. And that this stupid cat that he sees isn't actually Boyle, because we never see Boyle. Yeah. A terrible name for a cat. But, um, you know, that that he just says Boyle and then the cat runs to him because the cat's like, well, I got nowhere else to go and this guy seems nice. Like, that's the craziest part is that, like, 
there are so many things that to Jong Su, who is clearly trying to make himself some kind of protagonist, but doesn't see himself sure. as like the romantic leading man, now has to make mm. himself like the weird avenging angel. Mm. But like, what if he's not? Like, what if he's what, like, what if what if Ben is just like a dick? And like, yeah, what if yeah. Ben knows that like the only way to get this dude that he's like halfway interested in in whatever way he's interested in and to get him to hang out is to like promise that hey, me is going to be there because sure. he already ran away from like uh, the party once. Mm-hmm. I, I find Ben the scariest, less in terms of whether he's a serial killer or anything along those lines, than just him literally being like a vampire of experiences. Like just, for instance, mm-hmm. hey, hey me talking about the uh, sorry the great hunger yeah. and like starting to cry, remembering this this like just oh man that that wonderful scene where like. Where uh, Young Soo and Ben are listening as Jaime just starts crying, talking about how she just wishes she could vanish, you know, in a mm. in a wonderful foreshadowing I didn't realize. Um, I like it, it's those things that are so much scarier to me, <laughs> almost more sociopathic to me than like than just the weird like dismissive attitude he has. Like it, it's that's I guess. Yeah, I, I guess that's just kind of reiterating what both of you are talking about in, in the sense that it's – that these are – these are potentially normal people at least until, you know, the, the final run-in where an actual – well, I guess burning a greenhouse is a crime. But, you know, but the only crime – Has really anyone ever see. burned a greenhouse? Like – Are you asking? Yeah. <laughs> no. No, that's the thing. Like, yes, burning a greenhouse is a real crime, but like, we don't see that happen in the movie. The only thing that we know for sure at the end of the day is that Jong Su stabbed Ben and immolated him in his car. Sure. And mm-hmm. like, again, like, yes, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence built up against Ben. And he's like, clearly like a weird guy. But, like, I, I was kind of nervous for the point at which, like, you know, Ben would explain, like, yes, I burned down a greenhouse and there's no trace of it. The greenhouse's mm-hmm. name was Hey Me. And then it'd be like, you know, <laughs> she's not a greenhouse. It's like, aren't we all greenhouses in our own way? We put out a shiny exterior and we have all this ugly dirt interior life and things growing, reaching for the sun. They'll never meet because they're behind glass. And Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, cl- so clearly I was expecting some shit like that. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> if only I could have written that out, translated it into Korean, and then learned how to say it. I think that would have oh, been geez. a really good bit. Um, yeah, I was, I was super glad that that never happened. And I feel like in an American remake of this movie, that type of shit would happen at some point. Absolutely. Having seen the original Vanishing and then the American remake of Vanishing, that is precisely what would happen. Well, yeah, I mean, this like this could be a Vanishing situation. We just never actually, you know, see the person in the. Is it coffin? No, it's a coffin. It's been a long time. Yeah, okay, coffin. It's at least a wooden box, but you know, buried in the ground. I'd say that's a coffin. Vanishing rules. Yeah, Vanishing Um, is a fucking dark as fuck movie <laughs> um okay so 
So I feel like I should get into it a little bit. So the reason why I was uh, more mixed the first time um, does have to do with what, how they decide to, the point at which Jaime leaves, I felt a emptiness there that I didn't think they were able to resolve with um, the final showdown. Um, I felt in a way that, um, especially in terms of how much the film seemed to be interested in terms of uh, her being very much a fantasy, but also that she's actually a very real person, as well as the the way they played with the masturbation and the window where, you know, where they get sunlight once a day. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of those things, it confused me that there was so much seeding in relation to like that sexual repression and things like that. And then that it was dropped so quickly. Like I had felt on the first time that um, the agency of this character who on my first watch was my favorite character, um, when she left, I, I just couldn't figure out what they were doing. And I think that the second time what changed again is stop, stopping to view it as – a love triangle and more to view it as like a study of like relativity and like different, um, different, uh, quests or sorry, different, uh, class, uh, structures as well as mm-hmm. just different people. And so I, I think that that is some like, and I, I, I will say there are absolutely things out there who people, there are people who believe that, there is something um, misogynist about the way that the fantasy is such a large part of it. And then it's ignored to become kind of a, uh, you know, a battle of ego between those two men. But even, I don't know, I I think it's, but I still think it's a lot more, um, it's a lot less like, yeah, it's it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a lot less confrontational. Like it's not the same type of love triangle avenging angel bullshit that we have seen sometimes that can uh-huh. get kind of hollow. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the reasons for that is like, again, we just don't know what happened to her. Yeah. So like, it's it's just a complete nut, and we sure. don't even know if we're we're following the right person, right? We we don't know who the fuck she is. By the end of this film, you're still left sure. with this mystery of like she owed her family a bunch of money because she ran up a bunch of credit card debt or something like yeah. that, and you're just like, huh. And she tells uh, and the she story does, about, and she does mention like she travels a lot, and you're just like. I don't know how you're affording this, this like being able to, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you're just like, but you sell and you don't even sell watches. You sell the come into my store to try this raffle to To possibly get a watch. Yeah. Like, and then you're, you're not even a salesman. You're a salesman to the salesman. (laughs) She's a, you know, I'm going to say this and it's in the most enlightened allyship way possible she's a booth girl like basically like if we had to come up with the the american version of what her job is she's a booth girl she's a booth babe yes 
which mm-hmm. is fine. That's a job. You can have that. I just, yeah, we should put that out there for anyone who's curious. Yeah. Um, yeah like they, they probably don't make all that, all that much money. <laughs> and it's just like, but she's able to have this apartment and have a cat. And, uh, also, uh, like cats aren't be able to disappear. <laughs> well, but like be able to disappear for a couple of weeks and then like come back and you're just like, Huh. Right. I, it seems it seems to me that that and again, we this would bring up a lot of questions. I don't know how this girl would know who he is previous to him showing up if she didn't know him from like in her old life, but like sure. yeah, she could not be who she says she is and she could just want that watch and need a, a guy to pick her up at the airport and watch her cat. Like Sure. And again, so like if you're the type of person who's like, oh, like this poor this movie like vanishes this girl and then like turns it into a thing about like a guy who is obsessed with her or like in quote unquote in love with her, like avenging her on this like psychopath who killed her, that requires you to firmly believe that that is what happened, which I'm not willing to say with any kind of uh like certainty. Yeah, but do, just, but do you do either of you not think it's a little bit odd that it does kind of have that allegorical thrust, but it is like it is very much indulging in some of that sexual fantasy stuff without actually really doing anything. I mean, I know it's misdirection, and but there is something. I, again, I think they're doing enough, but you guys were you guys were asking about what mm-hmm. some of the negative reactions were, yeah. and it is very much that idea of this character that had been such a big part of it <clears throat> only being used for something allegorical, despite her very much like emphasizing the sexual fantasy mm-hmm. part in the early part, as well as the naked dance. Like, I think th- um, there are a number of scenes that don't necessarily they don't. I'm not going to say they don't amount to anything, but they are unresolved in a way that feels a little bit odd. I think that we begin the movie following Jong Su, and this, and we follow him almost everything we see through his eyes. So this is clearly his story or a story about him. Sure, and like you know, at some point, be it of her own free will or because she was murdered, she bounces, <laughs> like. And it's not, I don't blame her. Let's be it, honest. <laughs> yeah, it's like she ghosted him, and you know, let's just, let's like let's assume that she did. She just said, "Screw it, I've racked up a lot of debt here, and uh, I don't like my family, and I have the greatest hunger, and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go." She doesn't mm-hmm. owe him anything. She doesn't owe Ben anything. Like you know, she clearly doesn't think that she owes her family anything. She's um she's allowed to do that. <laughs> And so I think that uh, it it kind of plays into like her if again, assuming she's alive, her exercising her freedom to excise these people from her life without any kind of uh, a note or anything. It, um you know, it fucks him up, but that's not her fault. And she doesn't have to come back either, you know, physically or just in the narrative in order to like make it make sense for him. Or for us watching him. I think that, you know, that's not her job. And so, honestly, I would I would think that the movie would be, like, weirder and possibly, like, more callous and less kind to her if it, like, showed what she was doing 
and then cut back to him still straight up murdering a guy <laughs> because it would make it seem like she was actively not thinking of him when really she's just like not thinking of him because she doesn't have to because you know why would she think that this fucking guy would go nuts over her leaving when he didn't even remember her from their childhood sure. mm-hmm. you know yeah, like she, she she's she's barely a part of his life in in terms of time in terms of how much he cared and everything like that, you know, and, and people form quick bonds and things like that, but it never seemed like what they had necessarily was something permanent. It seemed like he was putting a lot into, into that projection of where it could go. But I don't know, like she seemed so open and free about that kind of situation that it was just like, Oh, like, because at some point she mentions, like, it was, it's right before they have sex. She's like, you used to call me ugly. Yes. Yeah. And, and you're just like, oh, she's, she, she's doing this on purpose. Like she's having sex with him almost in a way of like a power play. Yeah. Like you used to think I was ugly. Now you're going to sleep with me and I'm going to fuck you, you know? Right. And just like, and- ha. And and what's what what I like again is that like she's not doing it because she's mean. She's doing it because she's a human being. And that's what she feels like she wants to do. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I think to to spend more time with her on her in that way, you would kind of have to force something on her that presently she's free from. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I I think that you know even if you do want to assume that like she was killed and then ben you know did it and then uh jong su killed ben i still don't think that's what she would have wanted <laughs> i don't I mean, think, I that... think that's way less interesting right but again <laughs> and and again like if if the if if she had been in the movie and then we saw ben murder her or like had her body get found I think that, yeah, then that would be, like, a little bit crass. Like, maybe then it would be, like, okay, you fridged this girl just to give this guy something to do. But, again, we don't know what happened to her. She could be in Bali, like, Mm -hmm, fucking having mm -hmm. the time of her life, not even thinking about these two guys who she knew for maybe seven days in total combined. Mm -hmm. And she's just, like, like, the sequel to this movie could be her having just a Mai Tai for an hour and a half. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I, without a, this is going to sound horrible without a body. I don't think we can say that her character was like dealt a bad hand because we just don't know what happened to her. And so in thinking that the movie has done that to her, we have almost turned into Jong Su's. Because I like you know, that. if you write that article, you're rushing out to defend this woman who is, is not yours to defend, you know? Because she could be fine right now. Her and Boyle, again, the worst name for a cat, could be just like chillaxing in a Williamsburg cafe that will serve both of them. <laughs> Williamsburg, Brooklyn, not Colonial Williamsburg. I think I agree with you on a character level, but I think in terms of construction, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I get that much out of. I you know this is. Uh, this is probably sacrilege, but I'll just say this. I am not sure that I understand thematically the big scene where she does the dance. I mean, I saw it as the um, – sorry, the great hunger. Like I saw that as 
her doing it for the second time. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a scene that a lot of people have talked about as one of the best scenes of the year. And I think it's a, a gorgeously shot scene the way that it's, uh, you know, just just crouched enough where the the silhouettes of the sunset or not the sunset. But, yeah, the horizon and everything. That's a scene. That, are you talking about the one when she's topless or are you talking about the one in the restaurant? I am talking I'm talking about the topless one. But okay. I I guess it's an interpretation to me that I also saw that as her doing the great hunger dance again. Did you, did you guys see it that way? I thought that it was a little bit of the great hunger dance. Um, she's also very high mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're listening or uh, miles Davis is on the soundtrack. Sure. Yes. yes. And, um, if you're not going to dance and get topless to miles, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, mm-hmm. but like that I? is, that's a scene nonetheless that like, I think is gorgeous, but, but functionally within the story, I'm not sure what to say about it. And I don't want to get into like dumb conversations of like, does this scene need to be here? This scene doesn't need to be here. But I will say that like going down, down this thread of just trying to understand some of the criticisms I've heard of this. I think, I, I think that there's something to be said for not necessarily a body showing up again, but just what the narrative does do to her even thinking about the POV. I think um, it's interesting because again, you can view that scene and you, you ask like, what does it mean? Or what is it saying? You know, whether it has to be there or not, you know, sure. You could excise like 90% of this movie and still have the story that it's telling. It would just suck. Um, Sure. (laughs) But, um, you know, I take your point. I I think that, uh, you know, in addition to it being like the great hunger thing for her, it's sort of a, um, it's sort of like, again, it's hard because like when I think about this movie, I think of it from three different perspectives of the characters. Sure. And so I'm thinking like, what's she thinking in that moment? She's really high. She wants to dance. She's doing sure. it. She takes off her top because she feels like it. And there's two guys who are like there and can see her. And sure. she is clearly not thinking of them at all because mm-hmm. she's not like presenting herself to them she does not she's not even like a sexy dance it's just like the way that she wants to move to the music so like again if you're thinking like camera is following her like it's sexy dance i would argue um i don't know about that that. could be from jong su's perspective as well i think first of all bill are you eating yeah i i've just (laughs) just swallowed a mouthful of food okay great yeah (laughs) what are you having uh Zoe's kitchen. So I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it, um, it, it could be, you know, like this is the beauty of the world that these guys. And it, so like her body language is saying, I just want to dance. And this is what I feel like doing right now. And she's, you know, again, topless. She didn't like even look back at them. She doesn't appear to be doing it for them. Um, sure. you know, and so like, but the, the camera's following her. And like, as Bill said, if the movie is primarily told through Zhang Su's perspective, yeah. that could be the way that he's sort of viewing it. Mm-hmm. Like this is, Oh, it's so beautiful, but also like this other guy's here. So that's inflaming his like jealousy and uncertainty because. Especially given the la- the earlier scenes where he's very much fantasizing about her right well, and masturbating he, in his room in her room and and he just recently told ben that he's in love with her 
Well, right? no, he tells so him that right after, after the the because she goes and passes out because oh, one of her right, superpowers right, right, is sleeping right. wherever she wants. <laughs> yes, yes. Which um, I'm really jealous of. And <laughs> so yeah, so like, and then Ben is just there, and he's like, "All right, yeah, you know, she's high and she's dancing, and I don't care because I have no feelings and I've never cried." And so, but then you 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 skip forward to that scene where Zhang Su is like. I'm in love with her. Oh my God. I just said I'm in love with her. And Ben has just said like, yeah, I fucking like greenhouses on fire, man. Two months. <laughs> it's like a good, no one ever looks for the guys in the greenhouses on fire. And I came here on a scouting mission. And so you could be like, okay, so was Ben scouting her? And was that dance like, his like, was he scouting her in that moment? And so it's hard to know, like almost any moment in this movie you could look at, and no matter how beautiful it is, say, like, well, what was the fucking point of that? Like, you know, like, is that really, sure. like, necessary? What is art? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, but. Uh, sure. I don't. And again, like, you know, are we just like to, to are we only supposed to be gathering like any kind of like narrative value from her because like now we've seen her without her top on twice and she might do it again. Like, I don't think that's the reason that Lee Chang Dong did that. I think that I, I would agree. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't even know if I answered your question. I'm lightheaded from talking so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think you did. And to be fair, I, as I said, I think this second time, a lot of those feelings that I was having about that absence made a lot more, a lot more sense. I, I, I think that, you know, just trying to, it, it's difficult to see something again and change your mind and try to remember <laughs> why you believe something else. Um, well, well, I mean, Mike, you didn't know where this narrative was going. And so sure. you would have been perfectly fine in your assumption that we would see a dead body at some point. Right. Like, I didn't like, want to see a dead body though. I would I'm love not to saying, see a dead I'm, body, but not in a movie. You know what I'm talking I'm, about? I'm, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that you wanted that. I'm saying that's what you were expecting and you were maybe a little let down by your expectation. And then when that didn't actually end up happening, your second watch then kind of transforms because you're not fearing that happening this time, you know, it's not going to happen. And so yeah. this time around, you can kind of ease into the fact that this character isn't going to have that kind of gruesome end, you know, uh, for the sake of the narrative, it's, it's still going to be a central mystery. You, you know? know what I just realized? Yeah. You know, what just, this what? is like, this is like, um, this like, Remember Mandy and how much like we all didn't like Mandy? Sure. I think that's like a lot of what I'm feeling. Like I found everything that was happening in Mandy to be like what these hypothetical or possibly once shadow felt emotions are. Because like in Mandy, we have like this girl who mm -hmm. is Nicolas Cage's wife and then is like murdered in front of him and like lit on fire yeah. and then becomes like the reason for his like crazy revenge. And I'm just thinking like this movie clearly like has a similar sort of vibe. If you it only again, if you accept that everything that he believes is the truth, but in not showing her and in not giving us any pure answer, everything becomes a lot more interesting and a lot more, harrowing and meaningful mm -hmm. sure 
and and even to respond to what uh, Bill was saying, like even if I would come up with a hypothetical for how I would even want to see Hyde return into the story, you know, whether it was like an out of focus person in the background, like, hey, that kind of looks like Jaime in credits or something. Like I, those things start to narrow the focus of the, this film in a way that I wouldn't want. And I think that would make it far less humanist. It would make it far more into like, you know, uh, funneling everything into one uh, one conclusion. You know, and something else that I think is really interesting to think about is just Ben's like attraction slash like interest in Jiang Su, because at some point when Hamey is kind of out of the picture, and Jiang Su tracks down Ben at at his like favorite restaurant kind of place. Sure. He's reading Faulkner. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just like, and, and as soon as he sees, uh, Jong Su, he's like, Oh, Hey, check this out. I'm reading Faulkner. This is really good. And you're just like, wow. Like it's not, it's not something that he's just like, so you start to think about like when when Hey Me was talking about how no you kept telling me that you wanted to hang out with him, all of a sudden that sounds like a lot more truth than what you originally kind of thought. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. I, I think I think like Ben's Ben's so like his ease around Jong Su of like telling him that he likes to burn greenhouses and sure. like all of these things where Ben is like inviting Jong Su into his life, you know, if it's almost like if Jong Su had like played his cards, right. Ben at some point would have been like, here's how I make money. Like, do you want to make money with me? And Jong Su would have had like this perfectly lovely fucking life. And instead Jong Su's like, nah, I'm going to murder that motherfucker. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I guess that's a way to go about things. Um, did you even find out if she's dead? And it's just like, nah. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think Ben's interest in Jong Su is so interesting for so many different reasons because as sure. the narrative kind of unfolds, you're like, oh no, this is all just superficial. It's just, it's just, hey, me that brings them together. And then you start to realize like, oh, he's not like weirded out, like a, maybe a little bit, but he's also just like, oh, hey, here's my buddy. <laughs> he really you know? like there was a part when I legitimately was like, you know, does Ben need like a partner in crime or a fall guy? Yeah, yeah. I really thought like he could give a fuck about Hamey. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. He he just really he really wants to hang out with uh Zhang Su. Like it seems like he's real interested in him. Um like you said, Michael, you know, it's the the talented Mr. Ripley thing. Sure. Where you think that like Tom is after Gwyneth Paltrow and really he's after that, you know, hot, hot Jude Law. <laughs> Aren't we all? Well, I think it's I, I think it's interesting too, Bill, to add on to what you're saying too, like the final confrontation. Like he when Ben gets out of the when Ben is getting out of his car, he's like, I thought I hey, me was gonna be here. And I and I'm thinking like, okay, after these strange interactions you've had recently, you know, inviting him to the apartment and like Ben is obviously aware that Young Su is is just kind of 
he's acting odd. Like, it's just very strange that Ben, not as in I don't believe it, but as in why would Ben agree to even meet (laughs) Young Sue, even if it, even if he said that it was Young Sue and Hey Me and he wanted to talk to him. It's really a strange thing that Ben would even go out to, you know, the middle of nowhere, it seems like. I think Ben is just like, he, he always feels he's just like at ease. He's just yeah, at he ease. just like nothing bad has ever sure. happened to him. <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, again, like you got this Jong Su guy who seems like he can barely stand up under his own power. But then he's got that that same rage that his father does, you know, and he uh, uh-huh. he's going to kill you with a knife. But it's not even like Gatsby. It's not even like it's, uh, oh, yeah, I'm new money. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> it, it's just like Ben's problem is, oh, yeah, I I uh I, I light uh, greenhouses on fire. I had a, I've never got caught ever. <laughs> I had a bin in my life for a couple months. And uh, people really? like that are like super fucked up. Have I never <laughs> talked about Elia on this podcast before? I don't think so. You just said someone's name, though. So I don't yeah, remember his last name and I don't know him anymore. And I think he knows what I know about him and think about him. Elia is the kind of guy who like you had to stop bringing to parties because he uh, he freaked people out. Mm-hmm. And um <laughs> told you when you're going to die. <laughs> not even that. He he had a very Ben kind of vibe to him. Like he he was always like sharply dressed. He always like had this thing about how like oh, you know, we should go like get I know like a great sushi place and like we should go I've got this great like new like French, you know, wine cask aged beer. We should drink that and we should watch this like we should watch a yee yee together. And I'm just like Look, man, I'm like, I'm fucking 21. I just want to get wasted. Like, I don't, I don't know what the hell's happening right now. But like, mm-hmm, he was the only mm-hmm. guy I knew who like would watch some of the movies that I wanted to watch. And like, yes, he did have like good alcohol every now and then. And like, he had an interesting kind of like upper class affluent group of friends. And so like, we were friends for a bit, but like sooner or later, his complete and utter inability to read social cues, I was like, he's either gonna, deeply offend one of my friends or I'm going to get knifed to death because he says the wrong thing to a guy at a bar. (laughs) Um, So I like legitimately like sat him down and was like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. You're a social liability. And I think you need to help like (laughs) social liability. I I used that Ah. term specifically because he once used it to talk about someone else. (laughs) But he said it and he was like, that man has no tact. He has no class. He's a social liability. Being with him diminishes us. And I was just like, what <laughs> i take shots of whiskey and drink miller high life because i'm poor when we go like to karaoke and stuff like why is he sure. a social liability <laughs> i'm a crazy yeah. ass social liability and so it became one of those things where like i almost thought that he was studying me <laughs> and i was i was like worried he seems you know this is a lot for the podcast but he seemed like unhealthily obsessed with me and um when I when I whenever I would tell people about it, they're like, "Oh, you had a crazy ex boyfriend," and I was like, "Yeah, I did. He was very weird. I did. He was he was hard to be around." Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I I was like watching this movie with Ben. I was like, "Oh, hey, Ilya, what's up?" <laughs> and like you know, it was the type of thing where it's like you know he he's one of those guys who like he wasn't like a, a men's rights activist or like a student of the game or whatever, but he had like a very low opinion of everyone else's intelligence. And he's like, if you insult someone in a nice tone of voice, like for the rest of their life, they're going to want to like endear themselves to you. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you should fucking do that, you crazy (laughs) lunatic. 
but um, <laughs> that's that's, that's, thing. <laughs> that's who Ilya was, and that's the guy that I hung out with for a while. And uh, when I never saw him again, I was uh, a better man for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you well, survived. I did. There are legitimately times that I wonder, like, was that leading to me eventually mm-hmm. being killed? I don't mm-hmm. think so. <laughs> But I'm not willing to say with 100% certainty that I was going to get out of there alive. And, like, I have my crazy friends, like, the guy who, like, went to the bar and, like, tried to convince the bartender he only had two drinks, even though he'd been making the bartender put hash marks on his arm with a magic marker all night for every drink he had. And, like, (laughs) the kind of guy who's, like, says something gross to twins. He's like, I haven't measured your blank. How do I know you're actually twins? Like, you know, and he's probably going to get me hit. But I think that he'll never hit me, and he would probably take the knife for me. But Ilya would be like, I'm going to say something to this biker, and then I'm going to sit back and watch what happens to Brian. It's like a social experiment. Yeah, again, like I felt like he was studying me sometimes. Wow. Either that or he was just like super lonely, and I was the only person who could connect with him on any level. And like I seriously damaged him when I stopped being his friend. But like it had to happen. I was scared. It was not a uh-huh. good time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay i sometimes um, like i feel like guys? sometimes <laughs> this uh podcast turns into like a not a therapy session but like a weird version of the moth yeah, <laughs> yeah. hey you know, it. It, it is it, it is what it is um you know there have been stories today about what it's like to try to get shit done while your daughter naps there's been stories about the crazy guys mm-hmm, i knew mm-hmm. and uh, uh, a little story. bit of conversation about burning <laughs> <laughs> what's what's my story um yeah I, I don't know if i've ever had some ilias but i've definitely had some some friends that i just realized were driving themselves off of off of a cliff and i was like i'm gonna get out of the car <laughs> and you know it's it's one of those situations where you're just like you see where things are headed and you're just like you know i don't I don't I think have, I'm, yeah. I've I had a bunch of, I'm. like, cliff-driving friends, you know? And I, uh, you know, but those are a very different thing than, like, the Bens and Elias of this world. Sure, sure. Because, <laughs> sure. like, with Elia, it was never, like, you know, one night we were going to try meth together. Mm-hmm. Like, some of my friends. And I've never tried meth, but I could definitely see that having happened if I would kept some people around in my life. Mm-hmm. With Elias and Bens, it's like... I'm either just going to keep getting invited to cool parties and drinking good wine and like having homemade meals or I'm going to end up like buried under concrete and dead or I'm going to become like the next CEO of a Fortune 500 company because this idiot's going to start like a crazy tech thing and he's going to need someone with people skills to help him run it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be the Waz to his like jobs, right? But like, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. the risk ain't worth it. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. (laughs) Yep. So anyway, anything else to talk about with regards to burning? Uh, I should say, the, South, even though South we've been, we've been talking Korea. mainly about the narrative and the acting, um, all of which is great. I think the cinematography is also wonderful. Mm-hmm. I like the soundtrack a lot. Yeah, by yeah. Moog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just those, just that bass. But I, I love that like stringed instrument, which I, I'm sure is. I, I don't want to guess what it is, but it's just this wonderful, like chirping uh, not a zither, instrument. And the yeah. uh, cinematography by Hong uh, Kyung Po. Po. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, just a, it's, it's just, man, South Korea just fucking makes some good movies. I don't, and you know, I, I, 
I really don't know what it is, but like from my understanding, a lot of them studied like American or even like European filmmaking as well. Like some of them are are kind of obsessed with that stuff. And I think they're just like in some ways reiterating some of the masters that they've kind of seen. And not to say that there haven't been uh, Japanese or, or Asian uh, filmmakers of, you know, renown. Uh, certainly there have been plenty of them. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. They just something about these films just feels so goddamn adult that it's just i was about to say it's it's like what you're saying like they're 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 synthesizing all of these things that like are you know we still make some movies like that but like are the movies that we most often have to talk about or have or get the opportunity to see just don't have anymore because we've kind Mm -hmm. of like tried to merge adult and family slash kid cinema into one our, and so our, it's, our movies have become a economy and their mm-hmm. films have remained art in that way where it's just why am I making this movie? It's not to make 30 billion dollars. It's to make a damn good movie that I would want to see that I can show my other friends and things like that. And it's it's what they're thinking about and and focused on and unraveling in their head i also feel like they're less beholden to like genre yeah yeah well i mean i mean so many south koreans play with with genre where they'll bounce between different things that feel like you shouldn't be able to bounce from and Mm -hmm. some some of them are able to some of them kind of stumble here or there and some of that may be lost in translation too you know it's some it's it's really interesting to just see the output from south korea in particular i think i think it's yeah you guys already did talked a little bit about like the tonal stew that's become like really well known you know with people like bong joon ho and yeah yeah kim say yeah. uh kim jae woon i think it's who i'm thinking of as well but like i i, I think it's it just as well and I, you know it I can't say this happens totally with global cinema because there's a, a lot of European cinema, especially that's just totally inert. But there's there's just a, a sense of, of stakes that I feel with a lot of with the majority of South Korean cinema that I feel whether it's genre based or not. And you know whether you want to like describe that as adult, when whether you want to just describe that, you know, as I, however you want to categorize it, it's just. An, an exceptional filmmaking and a, uh, a, a patience and an interest, uh, an interest in humanism that, you know, you can't obviously say isn't in other countries, but, um, I, I think there's definitely a reason that even, you know, in our <laughs> broadest trend pieces, we're pointing out the urgency of South Korean films for, you know, decades now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was about to say like, they're having a moment, but as with all things that are like moments, in terms of like a broad swath of something, it's a moment that's going on like it's 15th year. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. but again, I was thinking about it today because like, I'm like, oh man, like South Koreans, fuck yeah. And then I was like, and in the 90s and 80s, it was like, oh, the French, fuck mm-hmm. yeah. Like, you know, when you, when you thought, like, if you were making a movie in like 1990 and someone was like a pretentious art house snob, it'd be like, oh yes, this new film that I love. But now I feel like, <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> our modern. I got to get those voices in. 
These uh, these voice work classes aren't going to pay for themselves. Um, I wish we had a guest. <laughs> but like now, I feel like you'd say like you know South Korean. Like that's yeah. that would become the yeah. shorthand for like someone who's like into good like foreign cinema. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, that's a good place to end. Um, so we've talked about so many films and so many people. I was going to try to do a roundup, but I uh, can't. So just you know. Rewind. Um, <laughs> what are we talking about here? I have no idea. <laughs> I can't even remember how to end this episode uh, because we've been talking so long and so hard. Um, Ew. Yeah. So what is – why – you you know what? Moving on. Find us on Facebook. Search for the Film Stage Show. Twitter uh, just at Film Stage Show. And of course, um, uh, we were brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. And uh, you can uh, join for a free 30-day trial at mubi.com slash filmstage. They got their Sundance Takeover. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah, it is Sundance Takeover. Film of the day today, Sunday is Pie. Michael Ops highlighted for us, but I'm a cheerleader. And of course, Buffalo 66. And uh, they've still got their uh, What is an Auteur series going on as well with Near Dark and Blue Steel from Catherine Bigelow. Along with at least 26 other films, which you should all check out. So, again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. And also don't forget to go to patreon.com slash show and give us your money. Please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and uh, yeah, Michael Snydell at some point is going to brave the Arctic chill of Chicago to go see Serenity <sighs> so that we can talk about that. That these <clears throat> these guys have assured me that it's worth it. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, it's there's some stuff that happens and I think that we could spend a weird amount of time talking about it. Oh, great. (laughs) Just in terms of narrative and, like, is it stupid or was it misguidedly bold? And also, what is the morality of Stephen Knight? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a conversation. I won't say it's going to be a good one, but it will be a conversation. It will be in your ears sometime this week. So look forward to that. Uh, Next weekend... We don't, we don't know yet. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of other stuff that we missed last year that I'm sure people will want us to talk about. And, uh, you know, there's other stuff coming out to theaters as well. So who knows? Um, but that's it for today. So let's tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we speak to them. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me finishing up my Zoe's Kitchen on Twitter at CableBFG. Um, what is Zoe's Kitchen? Like, is that... It's it's a Mediterranean uh, chain restaurant kind of thing. Oh, okay. So kind of like Kava? I have no idea what Kava is, All but right. I'll well, say yes. Well, obviously, these are regional restaurants. <laughs> Interesting. Um, anyways, uh, and you can also find me on the Slack channel... Um, talking, talking a lot about uh, Academy Awards right now... Um, yeah, it's it's fun. Good times, good times. Indeed. All right, Michael Snydell. I really hope the microphone just caught my stomach rumbling. Um, <laughs> so I don't get corrections. The movie I was trying to remember is called Seduced and Abandoned. David Mehmet is seemingly not involved with it at all. If you want to watch a <laughs> movie about Alec Baldwin and James Toback. Oh, my God. That fucking movie. God damn it. Ugh. Good old Toback. So 
so fucking weird. Toback, who's been me tooed like for 12 years in a row. Yes. yes. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I'm also on Twitter at Snydell Letterbox. I'll get back to writing reviews as opposed to just logging thanks sometime. Sometime. <laughs> and um, of course, you can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter at Brian J. Rowan. If you're playing PUBG, I am also on that at <laughs> Brian J. Rowan. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I started playing it the other day. On your day. phone or? Yeah, on my phone. Okay. Uh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get with shooters on the phone. I, I, I've not been able to figure out like how to play that very well. I'm not about to like tell you that you need to try, but like I was shocked at how good this game is even on a phone. And like oh, I great. usually am super terrible at things on my phone, but I've I've been doing pretty well on this one. I've uh, I, I won't say that I'm great at it. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners. Have you gotten a chicken dinner yet? <laughs> no, I have not gotten a chicken dinner yet. I gotta oh, say, God. though, my uh, my KD ratio, actually, it's presently shit, because I just had a real bad run today. Uh-huh, sure. <laughs> my KD ratio is 2.65, but in my last game, I killed 10 people, so who knows? Ooh, there you go. I, did, I just had, like I said, I had a real run of bad luck. Anyway, so yeah, PUBG at Brian J. Rowan. Everything at Brian J. Rowan. Let me know if you find anyone who's not me using that on any other social media network or game system. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, of course, I have uh, an essay and a review of Glass and uh, a review of The Upside, which is a movie that did happen this year, if you can believe what? that, over at thefilmstage.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. And, of course, tune in next time. Time on